Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you like what you're hearing right now? Then be sure to check out VOC Nation. Whether it's on VOCNation.com or your favorite podcast provider, VOC Nation offers the greatest in live and on-demand content, great interviews, and incredible insight from those who have lived the business. Seven days a week, VOCNation.com. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter at VOCNation. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Rock and Roll Union Streamcast. I'm CT, as always, here with Bill. Uh, really excited for this show this evening. We're going to be talking with Jaron Angelino, bassist extraordinaire from Lynch Mob, from uh, Heaven's Edge, from a lot of the old Philly bands you guys all remember so well, Mach 22 being one of them. But uh, really, really excited to speak with him. Really excited to get the show going. Uh, but while we wait on Jaron, I figured, uh, Bill, we got a little bit of time. We could talk about the Have You Heard segment. We'll kick it off this week with that. And uh, I'll tell you what, I was I checked out Alex Harvey. We talked a little bit before we came on the air about it. Um, and it really reminded me a lot of Pretties For You, the very first album from Alice Cooper. Um, reminded me a lot of um, that era's type. But there was some other stuff in there that, like, I, I've watched some videos of performances and stuff that they did with Faith Healer. Um, it was interesting to me that there were there was some uh, progression in there. There was uh, the guitar player and the clown makeup, and some of the some of the mannerisms, some of the facial expressions, some of the stuff that to me in 1973 seemed a little bit. Uh, predated at that point i mean you could see that where that led to yeah um alex harvey was an interesting character um he was a bit older than the other guys in the band uh, when the band first started i think most of the band members were 22 23 years old by comparison alex harvey was 35 alex wow. harvey was born in 1935 and he had spent a fairly long career first playing in the clubs um, in Scotland, and then subsequently uh, appearing in London's West End in the London version of Hair. So he was a stage performer first and foremost before he was really a recording artist. Although he did make a couple of records of the 60s also, but those didn't really take off. But in any event, he ended up drafting an existing progressive rock band called Tear Gas with that uh, the other four members of the band that became the sensational Alex Harvey band had been part of with a different singer who ultimately became their record producer. Wow. And um, 
they deliberately went out of their way to be th theatrical in their presentation, both with their lyrics and in the stage costumes they wore. I mean, Alex Harvey had the, something of a pirate look. Um, you mentioned um, Zal Clemenson, the guitar player, with his clown mime getup and uh, makeup. Um, they never really cracked the United States, and it's a shame because they provided a lot of inspiration for quite a few bands. In particular, and if you, and you might hear this if you listen to the vocal style that Alex Harvey employed in a lot of these songs, Alex Harvey ended up providing a lot of inspiration to another famous Scottish singer, a fellow by the name of Bon Scott. Yes. Oh, I got my little guy following me down here. Um, Miami, can I have this one? So All right. Sorry, guys. But, um, I am, take them to mom, go ahead. Sorry about that. Life, life with a four-year-old. Oh yeah. Um, I'm going to take, we're going to go off to, uh, we're going to finish off this discussion, not to pause it right here, but I want to bring in uh, Jaron and uh, maybe we could discuss the song that I had thrown at you, Bill, because I got a feeling that Jaron might know that one. Um, guys, please welcome Jaron Gelino to the stage. What's up, guys? Hey, Jaron. <laughs> Sorry about the life with a four-year-old, but uh, so Jaron, we started a new uh, we started a new segment on the show called "Have You Heard," and I'm not. It's just kind of songs that friends are bouncing back and forth. Uh, maybe songs that the other person hasn't heard before, or uh, kind of refreshing on old songs. And uh, Bill had given me the song from the Alex Harvey band, Faith Healer. Not sure if you're familiar with that one at all. Um, I don't think I am. And then the song that I threw at Bill, um, I got a feeling you know the one I threw at Bill was "We We Care a Lot" by uh, by Faith No More. Oh yeah, of course. So uh, Bill was a little unfamiliar with that one, and I was like, "Man, this is like what started Faith No More." I'm a big Mike Patton fan. This is pre Mike Patton, but uh, Bill wanted to get your ideas on the song and uh, bounce it back to Jaron after. I enjoyed the song, and I have to tell you, I'm surprised. I had never heard it before, at least not knowingly. But listening to it and thinking about when it was cut in the late 80s, there is a lot of um, elements of music that uh, were happening with other bands, both uh, just before and just after that one was recorded. There, I, I can hear a lot in the, the bass style that would have been similar to what uh, people like Flea or Eric Avery were playing back then, in particular. And um, there were some elements of the song that actually made me think around, uh, you know, what Alice and Chains were doing on Facelift on their first album. What do you think, Jer? Sure, yeah. Um, kind of piggybacking on the bass part, the tone, man, I mean, it was just kind of crushing. Faith No More had uh, a really heavy sound, I think, early on, you know, before a lot of people really went that route. And, um, you know, I, I feel like back then, a lot of the bands that you would hear a bass tone like that from would be like some killer thrash bands. You know, they kind of had a more of an aggressive tone. So uh, to hear a band a little bit more uh, commercial go that route was uh, pretty cool. And uh, I played the hell out of that record so many times. So, um, yeah, man, it's, it's a great one. And uh, again, kind of like you said, Bill, I mean, it was early on there. So uh, definitely interesting to... Uh, to see how that came into the timeline. 
And I think my favorite part of the song is it's just so um, indicative of the time period, the things that they talk about, talking about the the Transformers, talking about just the different lyrics in the song kind of make me chuckle when I listen to it. But, um, Jaron, so uh, thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, Wanted to, to talk to you a little bit. I mean, you are now gearing into the end of the road uh, kind of tour with George Lynch and uh, wanted to ask you about that, your thoughts on that. And uh, if you'd had any thoughts to what, what comes next for you? Um, You know, it is, it's a little bittersweet because uh, I'm going on my second year with Lynch mob. Um, You know, I've been a fan for, uh, you know, a a really long time and um, you know, to finally get a, a shot to not only play in a band uh, in the style of music that I always, you know, enjoyed playing or wanted to play more of, uh, but to play with the one that I really liked the most, um, you know, it, it's awesome. But, you know, to know that it's coming to an end here in the next, uh, you know, year or so, um, you know, it's as sad as it is. Um, it's exciting because it's something that the guys are really uh, passionate about. You know, they know that the clock is ticking, but, uh, with that comes, we want to go out strong. We want to hit it hard every night. We want to play songs that maybe we've never played before or uh, stuff that the band's never touched on. And, you know, a guy with George Lynch who's been playing for 40-something years, uh, that's a deep catalog, everything from early Dokken to uh, Exciter and the boys and all that stuff. So um, we are touching on a lot of that stuff. And uh, it's exciting for that. But at the same time, you know, we say – we're hanging it up in March, and uh, that is, in fact, the plan of March of 25. But, um, you know, that's not to say that some killer offers may not come in and it might get a little extended. But um, right now, there there isn't anything there. So, um, you know, uh, March of 25 seems to be coming pretty quick, but we are going to really hammer the road this year and really make sure that we get to um, most, if not all, the places that people want us to come to. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, again, once it's all over, you know, uh, it's not only sad for me cause I have a killer gig, but it's, uh, sad for me and the rest of the fans that don't, you know, uh, know when they're going to see George next, you know, will he still go out and play? Maybe who will he play with? We don't know. Um, but you know, you can count on him being busy in the studio and, and stuff, uh, outside of the road. So. Um, you know, it, I just feel weird about it. And, uh, the question I get every day on tour and even off tour is, you know, what are you going to do after, you know, what do you got lined up? And, uh, this far out, I'm not thinking about it. Um, I'm enjoying every last second. I'm enjoying every show and every song and every show and making sure that, uh, I do the band justice by performing well and, uh, or the best of my abilities, whether that's well or not, that's up for, uh, debate, but, uh, you know, um, there's been talk, you know, I've gotten a couple offers and um, I'm just not there. I, I want to focus on this as much as I possibly can all the way to the very end. And uh, if something comes up closer to the finish line, you know, maybe I'll explore that. But as of now, um, everything else is just kind of noise. Um, and I mean that with the most respect to everybody else, you know, even with the other bands that I do play with. Um, you know, with Heaven's Edge and the Life Project and some of these things, um, you know, Heaven's Edge does a little bit here and, uh, you know, some of the other guys and the other bands want to do stuff, but 
my heart is with George all the way to the end. And when he says it's time to go, it's time to go. So I'm just going to see it through and uh, try and enjoy it as much as I can. Now, how did be- you connect with George, if I can ask? What was that? How did you connect with him? Uh, through mutual friends and, and people in the industry. And uh, I've been going to lynch mob shows and, and all sorts of events, you know, along the lines of stuff that George has done for a long time. So uh, a familiar face soon becomes one that you might know. And then it kind of snowballs into something. And um, it took me a lot of years of playing with many different bands to get myself up to a, a standard, I think, to where I was ready for that gig. And, uh, you know, I, I had really wanted something like that for a long time and to be able to, again, get the one that, you know, would be the, the Holy grail for me was, um, very special. But, uh, you know, I also think the timing was right. And, um, I paid my dues, learned a lot of things playing with other bands, whether it's the, the actual playing and performing or the stuff off the road, like tour managing and, and dealing with all the nonsense that comes along with being on tour. And uh, I think uh, my internship in rock uh, ran its course and it was time for an upgrade and it just came at the right time. You know, I'm glad you brought up that that tour management kind of spot. Um, just thinking about, I mean, being on tour with George and doing all the things that you've done within the past, God, seven, eight years. Um, has there been any thought to you as maybe doing something aside from playing bass later on, maybe producing or tour management or something along those. I mean, you've met so many incredible people. Sure. Um, I would be open to, um, I guess, producing a little bit, you know, it's sitting around in the studio is, is fun when you're making the music and creating the magic. Um, but for me being a part of that is, is what I really like in terms of, of, you know, the playing. So, I don't know that sitting in a, a studio chair telling everybody else what to do on a project that's not mine. Um, if that's really for me full time, I think more something, uh, something more physical uh, tour managing and being on the road and grinding. And gotcha. I'm just, I'm a working guy, man. I can't sit still for very long. So, um, you know, I already enjoy doing the tour managing for the bands I've been in. I uh, assist with my girlfriend's band, uh, Paralandra when they're out on the road and I step in and try to, play tour manager as much as I can to help them. So I find uh, being in the action is really what I love the most and being out amongst the people and talking to the fans and the promoters and venue owners, you know, all these different things. That's the thing that really uh, drives me is building relationships and, and making those connections um, and being with the people that are really making, you know, the scene happen. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I could explore that, but uh you know, I always tend to forget that the reason that I'm out doing what I do is it's for the love of the playing yeah. and uh, being out with Tantric for so many years. I was doing it all, you know, tour managing, playing, driving, you name it, babysitting. And it didn't really hit me until a few years in that it was never really about the music after a while. It was like, you know, you do all these other things just to get to the, the show time, And then you get on stage and it's like you're going through the motions. And I kind of fell out of love with the adventure of playing. And I guess when you're playing, you know, radio style songs that are uh, simplified for, for what I do on bass, I mean, it just kind of ran its course, you know, it's like almost going into uh, autopilot. And so making this transition into the, the George gig, 
every night is improv. It's be on your toes because he's going on the set list. It's a 20 minute jam in the middle of a song. It's it's a real challenge for a musician in a in the greatest way. And I think um, I would hate to let that go. And I would hate to go to another band after this that didn't have a little bit of that. Um, you know, it's always you want to climb up the ladder. But I mean, for what I do, I'm old school. I'm, I'm a young guy in an old man's game. And I think the bands that are big uh, for people my age and, and you know, currently on the on the radio, I'm not interested in really any of them. I'm, I'm not really interested in stuff from the last 20 years. I want to play old school rock and roll, old school hard rock where people play their instruments and they plug them in. And if it's not plugged in, it doesn't come out. There's no tracks, no bullshit. I want to play the music. Oh, the question is, there's no way you're going to become an avatar after you guys retire with Lynch. Oh, please. (laughs) And, you know, there's all sorts of levels of stuff. I know people use tracks these days. I know how it goes. I'm not against it. I just, I I like organic stuff. And, uh, again, a, a young guy in an old man's game, a lot of my heroes, they're old man. They're not going to be playing much longer. And I think... Right. That style of music is going with it. You know, how many more years can Iron Maiden play? How yep. many more years can, you know, some of these these icon bands play? And those are the guys that are authentic and organic. Um, I hope that um, some of these younger bands that do play that style continue to grow. Um, you know, guys like Jared James Nichols, I, I think he's the last standing guitar hero uh, that there is. And I hope that guys like that, who really play their instruments and pour their heart and soul out on stage. I hope that that still is a big thing moving forward because uh, I think that's where you'll, you'll find me is with guys that are, uh, you know, believing in that style of music. So we got a question for you from the audience uh, from rock doc. How is it going from tantric to lynch mob? How has going from tantric to lynch mob changed your rig, changed your setup? Uh, Anything different as far as from going one to the other? Um, for you, it's pretty similar. Um, you know, uh, uh, Tantric was more of uh, uh, you're laying a foundation, a big uh, bottom base to kind of just coat the guitar, you know, just uh, um, it, it's more of a like a foundation, uh, I would say, as bass should be. But with Lynch, it's more you know, you're a lot of fills, a lot of this and that. So, I, I tend to cater my tone a little more towards that, a little more cut a little more uh, uh, less subby and, and fat and a little more uh, grit and grind along, along with that fatness too. But um, same gear, uh, more cabs if possible, you know, we fly <laughs> in. So whatever the backline company brings me, uh, I'm happy with, but um, it, it's a similar rig and I've always used a similar rig throughout almost all of my bands over the last 10, 15 years. Um, but, you know, you just kind of tweak it and gator it to the gig. Bill, any uh, any thoughts? Well, you know, I'll go back to something that uh, Jaron said a few minutes ago regarding um, you know, having to be on your toes and uh, follow where George goes over the course of a gig. I would think that one of the challenges in doing that is, yeah, I, I know a little bit of it at George's repertoire, and the sense I get is that um, as a bassist, you almost would be almost closer to um, what a uh, progressive rock musician might have to do sure. in order to keep up with that because his style is such where even as a bass player, you're going to be out front a lot of the time. You're going to be carrying a fair amount of the load up front. 
Yeah, with a guy like that that likes to solo as much as he does, you know, uh, rather than just playing the root note, sometimes you pick up the riff that maybe the rhythm guitar might have played on the record or you find ways to fill those holes and to uh, really fill out, you know, underneath him and let him have that freedom to just kind of go off. And, uh, you know, that's not something that uh, the average person, I think, that plays in rock bands, you know, that's not something they're thinking about. They're thinking about I'm playing the song like it is on the album. Sometimes you got to just put your own flair on there to really spice it up. And uh, I think that's my favorite part about being in this band, because all the lineups I've seen of George's bands over the years, every single one was different. And they all brought something different to the table, whether you liked it more or less. You couldn't really compare them because it's just completely different styles. And, uh, you know, I think that me being there, um, I'm not like Robbie Crane. I'm not like Marco Mendoza. I'm not like Anthony Esposito, all these guys with legacies. I'm, I do it my way. And, um, you know, I've had fans say that's a great thing because why do you want to copy somebody else? You know, you don't. So, um, for me, uh, that's rewarding. And, uh, that's the challenge. Kind of like you said, you know, you just kind of find ways to play a little more and, uh, not just one note, uh, like a progressive guy, you got to know your way around the neck. Yep. Man, now with uh, with you guys, I mean, Lynch Mob has gotten so tight with the the new singer, with just the the lineup, the way it is right now. Would could you ever fathom if George was to hang it up or George was to go somewhere else? Could you guys fathom sticking together, and maybe doing some more stuff together? Oh, I would love to work with Jimmy and Gabriel on anything, anytime. Um, Obviously, it wouldn't be Lynch Mom. You know, George, George right. is the sound of the band. But, um, I mean, I'll just say this. Playing with a guy like Jimmy DeAnda on stage, I mean, the guy beats his drums to a pulp. I've never played with anybody like it. And it's an honor to stand there and just, you know, lock in. But not only lock in, but watch him. I mean, he's just world class. And then you got a guy like Gabriel. He's new. He's a young guy relatively, you know, to the scene. And, uh the guy hits high notes that friggin' shake the walls. I mean, you don't get a lot of that anymore because the guys that do that are all older. A lot of them don't sing like that anymore. So to be able to, to be on the stage with three other guys that just hold their own and at their own caliber of, of skill is just uh it's a real honor and a privilege. And uh, again, every single show, every single song, I'm soaking it up. And you, you know, he reminds me a lot of, what we're seeing in European rock right now. Sure. Bands like Heat or Crash Diet or things along those lines. It feels like everywhere else in the world, and you've traveled the world, so you could tell me if I'm off base, but it feels like other parts of the world right now are kind of edging us out as far as rock and roll is concerned. I think that's been the case for a long time. I mean, past 20 years, a lot of my favorite stuff that's come out has all been from overseas. You know, they're, they're still diehards to the old school you got guys still doing bands that sound like Deep Purple over there, old school White Snake. I mean, you don't get that here. And if you do, no one knows about them or they're the opening band on a you know an already crappy lineup of a show and nobody cares because they're there for the headliner who's all lights and, and video screens with show. You know, it's not about the, the players. It's about the show. And you go overseas and, you know, you don't even have to go overseas anymore. You can go do the Monsters of Rock cruise, yeah. do some of these festivals where they do bring these bands in. And um, the appreciation is, is pretty wild to see, you know, uh, being an American and seeing all the stuff that goes on in the States and, and touring the States so many years with a current rock band like Tantric. 
And then looking overseas, you know, like the, the things that are popular there are completely different. Yeah. And uh, again, it's just, um, you know, no, no disrespect to any genres uh, or rock or any era of it. It's just my personal cup of tea, uh, I think, lies a lot with those Euro bands and that sound. How about you, Bill? What do you think? Oh, the Euro bands are and have been very interesting to me for a long time now for exactly that reason, because they take so many of their cues from the classic bands of the 70s and 80s. But they're from between you know, those influences and then adding some of the influences from the 80s, you know, the Ingve style shredding and so forth. They've turned it into something completely different. And I find it really sad that there hasn't been more embracing of these bands by American record companies. Um, the, the, the bands that I know about uh, from uh, that genre, and I'll date myself a little bit with this because I haven't followed it now in about 10 years or so, but bands like uh, Iced Earth, Camelot, Blind Guardian were terrific bands uh, that probably deserved a lot more attention in the States than they got. And I listened to some of that music and, you know, again, yeah, the, the influences are very obvious to me. I hear so much of uh, Deep Purple and Uriah Heep and White Snake in that music. It's really rather amazing to me. Sure. Man. And, and you, you know, it's, it gets to be a catch-22 because the bands are afraid to come to the States because they're not making much money and they, it's hard to sustain that tour. Whereas some of the bands and many of the bands that were famous here at one point are easily accessible overseas and they're, they seem a little bit, like you said, Jaron, a little bit more hungry for it, a little bit more. I've talked to uh, Johnny D and Johnny D was saying that, you know, they just have a much more, a deeper appreciation for music over there. Sure. Uh, what do you think of that, Jaron? Does that, do you see that going over there? I do. Um, and it's funny because I hate to keep bringing it up, but a band like Tantric, we went over to Europe for the first time in 2019 and the band was virtually unheard of there. I mean, we had, a, uh, I don't know, a third of the shows were decent and the rest were just like, you know, being a brand new band playing at a, at a, not a coffee shop, but you know, just some random place where nobody really cares. It was, uh, I don't want to say surprising because, you know, uh, a band like that with no presence for 20 years, what can you expect? Right. But then you get a band like Heaven's Edge where no one really knows them, you know, in terms of the, the mainstream here in the States, yep. you know, people that know them are from back in the day. But then we go to Germany this year and we're playing a festival and everyone knows all the words to all the songs. Oh. And so it's just kind of goes to show that the people gravitate towards what they like maybe and, and what um, they find enjoyment in versus what, the mass media is pumping out there or what the radio is playing. Um, and again, you go there and I guess the radio is playing old school stuff there. You know, you do hear stuff like that when I'm uh, born an East coast guy listening to the radio my whole life. You know, I only know what Eddie trunk used to play on the radio before he was big time. And uh, you know, that was like Jackie Bam. Um, you know, he plays the deep cuts and all these and all this stuff, but you go to the Midwest and, and, and just to, to, Piggyback on that, uh, MMR, they're like the only rock station in Philly, really, besides yeah. some of the classic rock, and they're still not really playing 
a lot of rock. I mean, it's it's all rock, but you go to the Midwest, there's six or seven rock radio stations in Wisconsin and all these different cities. One's playing all the new stuff, Pop Evil, uh, Shine Down. One's playing 80s stuff. One's playing 90s stuff. It's just a whole different world outside of the coasts and the major cities. And then to expand even more on that is you go to Europe and they're playing the stuff that you would never dream of hearing on the radio. I mean, who plays Headless Cross by Black Sabbath? That's Most people don't even know that that's an album. Wow. In Europe, they're playing that on all the changeovers between bands on all the shows. I mean, it's just a regular thing there. And uh, in a way, I wish I kind of lived there because I would just be, you know, uh, you know, basking in it. Yeah, I hear you. So what's this coming? Uh, what, what's the upcoming schedule look like for you right now? February. What's uh, what's the plan? Um, I'm going to Australia with Lynch Mob next week. Wow. We're doing three there. It'll be the last Australian shows for George. Um, and then once March kicks, I mean, we're, we're on a tear, man. We're going to, uh, probably hit around 80 plus shows, uh, this year, um, for this final ride. And with those, we're also doing this thing called the rise of the decades tour, which is a package uh, that features Lynch Mob XYZ and a band called All or Nothing. And uh, essentially, it's a it's like a mini fest, if you will. Um, All or Nothing is a brand new young band. Um, old school, but new school, a little mix of everything. And so they open it up. Then they come out um, uh, with Terry from XYZ. They do a whole XYZ set. And then Lynch Mob comes out, and we do our set. And then at the end, Terry and the AON kids... Uh, and George come out and they do a nice little docking uh, set of all the classics. And, um, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, it's weird to be like doing two tours at once. But, um, you know, the, those Rise of the Decades things are just here and there, which is nice. But, uh, yeah, man, we're just dying to play. Anything and close to home for that Rise of the Decades? It's going to be uh, Lidditz at Mickey's uh, Rockbox. Mickey's Rockbox. Nice, nice. Yeah. So um, that'll be October 11th. Uh, the day before we do Landis again. Um, and I'm sure we'll probably do a couple more. I mean, we're we're talking about doing 20 or 30 of those this year alone. So hopefully gotcha. uh, something comes to the, the Philly area. Man, looking forward to it. Any, uh, any last thoughts, Bill? Any questions? No, I think I'm covered. No, this is a great conversation. I look forward to seeing you come through, definitely. Oh, appreciate it. Yeah, man, we're excited to play home again. And uh it's weird because Philly's kind of dropped off the map with venues uh, for rock, and so we were just discussing that very thing before we went on air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, people are like, "Why don't you play Philly?" I'm like, "Well, we're playing an hour away at yeah. or we're playing in Lidditz. It's not that far, but people just, I guess, don't travel anymore. But I mean, where does a band like Lynch Mob play in Philly? It's probably not the smartest move to have that on the marquee, regardless. Right. But, right. But you know, it, it's a it's a weird scene, and um, I'm it, hoping. You know, it kills me to see bands like Greta Van Fleet, regardless of what anybody's opinion is on them. But the new carriers of that torch attempted to play the Wells Fargo Center, and I was told it was dead. Like oh. this is these are bands that you know they do well overseas. Again, bringing up that overseas, they bring them to the states, and there's not much here. And it's, you know, there's like a handful of clubs in Philly. And every time I check into those clubs anymore, there's a million bands that I've never heard of anymore. And it, it's, 
it, it's tough to get out. That's why I'm thankful for, for places like the Landis that uh, give bands like yours a, a place to play. Sure. I think Philly, uh, New York, I think, honestly, all the major cities, unless the band is from there, you're pretty much dead in the water with rock. Um, yeah. You know, you're going to go to the suburbs for that. I mean, metal's always done really great in Philly, uh, Manhattan. I mean, as a kid, I would go see every friggin' metal band from Europe or every thrash yeah. band at all these places, and it'd be, you know, packed. But then you would go see Lynch Mob in Manhattan, and yeah, it's a great show because it's, it's Manhattan and, and it's a legend, but... I mean, that show's not doing TLA. That show's not doing, um, you know, the Fillmore. Right. So, again, um, you go, like, Greta Van Fleet, for example, they they bomb here, but you go to the Midwest, and all the shows are packed. I mean, we play Wisconsin. It didn't. It doesn't matter what band. I play Wisconsin a million times with a bunch of different bands. Every show is packed. The Midwest is just a different beast, and I think when you're on the coasts like we are, people just think, Rock's dead. There's no scene. There is. It's just not where we're from. And yeah. it's really disappointing to me that I can't come do a hometown show and it be as good as it is in who cares where Ohio, you know? It's just like... You're making me want to schedule a road trip, man. Yeah, like, man. It's ready to go. But wild. I'm going to pick your brain for the best venues once I get out there. Please do. But... um Jared, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to hang with us, man. Uh, best of luck for this coming year. I'm sure we'll run into each other soon. But uh, thank you so much, brother. Appreciate you guys having me. Have a good evening. Hey, thank guys. you, Jared. Thanks, Bill. All right. There was Jared Gelino, man. Uh, really, really great guest. Good friend of mine. Uh, we've known each other for years at this point. And uh, it, it's sad, Bill. I just wanted to ask you that question real quick as far as rock kind of fading out um it, it's good to hear that there's hotbeds out in the midwest and that there's areas like that and that perhaps being coast guys that's what we see is and he's right you know i i rode to work this morning listening to mmr and without giving out artist names or whatever they're playing on mmr the same artists that they play on country radio and i'm like this shows me where rock is going. Yeah, there really aren't that many places that I can think of on radio to really hear good rock and roll. There yeah. are two stations in my neck of the woods in Central and North Jersey where you can hear true rock and roll, at least as I define it. One is on the Jersey Shore on the WRAT. The Rat is. Yeah, the Rat's great. Yeah. Yep. And then a little bit further north, of course, is WDHA. Um, I mean, talking about uh, the venues and how radio drives some of um, you know, the turnout for shows, um, my band back uh, right around New Year's played a show at a relatively new venue in central slash North Jersey, a place called the Donnellan Theater in the town of Donnellan. Well, yeah. And... One of the things that was really interesting about that show, which we had a fantastic turnout, bigger turnout than any of us expected. One of the things that was a little different about that show was the management at the, the Donnellan put regular advertising on DHA. Our band's name and um, the, sh uh, the scheduling of the show was being mentioned six times a day for the better part of a month. And it matters. 
Yeah, it does. Radio yeah. really still matters, at least when you're past a certain age. <laughs> and, you know, I also, uh, you know, that's a topic that I want to bring up on a later podcast is how important that is, that marketing and the proper marketing and things that bands kind of fall out of step with as far as maybe oversaturation or uh, flooding the market with too many of the same types of bands. I mean, doing the podcast with the Landis, there's a million tribute bands out there, but then there's tribute bands. We were just talking about this last night. There's band tribute bands that are only put together to get a couple of dollars. So like, what can we market? What can we sell? And then you're selling the same band that's already out there, but maybe hungrier than you or love the music more than you do. And it shows. Well, and the other thing about it, and it comes into the marketing that you, you just mentioned, there are some bands out there that I think take the lazy way out in that they are looking to you know, ca catch the wave that has been caught before by other bands. Yeah. So you end up as a, as a result of that with, you know, in any given area, four Led Zeppelin tributes, four Tom Petty tributes. <laughs> I H mean, the Ozzy, like, mm -hmm. and don't get me wrong. I love all that music. I mean, I've never been a huge Tom Petty fan, but I have an appreciation for his music and a good tr Petty tribute. I'm sure would be something that I'd really enjoy watching, yeah. but it's too easy for people to take that route and assume that they're going to get um, a turnout. And some of them will for a while until people realize that they just aren't very good. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And seeing some of the tributes that I've seen, I've seen amazing tributes and then I've seen bands that just cover a band's material, if that makes sense. And no real feeling behind it, just... This is this is a cover of a song that's been played twenty five times. Like, it, it gets frustrating. It really does, and you can tell the difference between people that love their music and people that just go through the motions. Well, and it hurts the bands out there who are really working hard to perfect their craft. I agree. I mean, I mean uh, you know, getting back to the Led Zeppelin tributes. I mean, one band that we both are familiar with, I'm sure, is uh, you know the Flying Circus. Yeah. Who are very, very good. But I'm sure that to a certain degree, their band is hurt from both ends because you have mega tributes like Get the Lead Out yeah. who play the area. And then you have lousy tributes who, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they get out, they play some Led Zeppelin and they don't do it very well. <laughs> a, yeah. a band like Flying Circus gets squeezed in the middle of that. Yeah. I mean, they can't compete on one side. And they're so much better than the other side, but they're probably going to get lumped in with the other side when people have seen some of those bad bands. I, I agree with you 100%. But, Bill, I'm going to wrap this up right now. But uh, pleasure as always. Oh, we have to give each other uh, the Have You Heard songs for next week. Yes, we do. So yes, we do. what I'm thinking, just because I compared it earlier and wanted to say that I kind of felt it, uh, little pretties for you. Um, Seven inches from the worm is the name of the song on there. <laughs> and uh, a good tune worth checking out. 
I have uh, been meaning to expose myself to uh, Alice's first two albums for a very long time and just, for whatever reason, have never done it. So time has come, it sounds like. There it is. I'm going to give you one that is going to be interesting because you're not going to expect it when I tell you what band it's from. Okay. Um, the band is King Crimson. Okay. The song that I want you to listen to is called Frame by Frame. Frame by Frame. Okay. Um, and just to give, to give you a little bit of background as to why I think you'll find it very different. Um, King Crimson is a band that's gone through multiple lineup changes over the course of its tenure. They made their first album in 1969, which I know you and I have had long discussions about in the past. Yeah. Um, that uh, lineup of that band lasted basically for two albums and dis disintegrated. They went through multiple lineup changes throughout the 70s and actually then went on hiatus for about five years. In 1981, they reemerged with yet a new lineup that was largely based on some of the work that was going on in the, the new wave sphere back in that time frame, but making it both um, melodic on one side and very technical from a musical perspective on the other side. Gotcha. When you listen to Frame by Frame, you'll hear what I mean. Frame by Frame has nothing like the King Crimson that I know you're familiar with. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'm currently, just to let you know, and I'll, I'll send it over to you, I'm building our Have You Heard playlist on Spotify, so anybody that wants to check out any of these songs can do so. And uh, I'll make sure, Bill, that I send it to you over the week. I've been adding the songs each and every week that we discuss them. So I, I, I'm enjoying this, and I'm looking forward to uh, continuing this. Now, it's, Lord knows there's a ton of music to share. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And that's the beauty of... God, rock and roll is just, we could share for years and still not scratch the surface. So, Bill, my friend, have a great rest of your week. And uh, we'll be talking soon. All right. Sounds great, CT. Guys, until next time, don't just leave it. Leave it better. Everybody have a great week. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Total Package. Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. VOC Nation's own Stroh Maestro suffered a major medical and financial catastrophe this year. From the VOC Nation family, to all of you, please continue to pray for Stroh Maestro for his continued recovery. You can also donate to his cause, paypal.me slash palpistro. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you know Ray there too, right, Ray? We sure are. And we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, pregnant. I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Yo, this is Jerry Stein of the Nasty Boys. 
Yeah, Brian Knobs, yeah, you get get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hick, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. Archive-free content includes past interviews with huge names like Paul Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter at VOCNation. Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, talking here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my... Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect well, is? Well, I'll tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found a true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think, uh, I don't know what to say, but I, I want to say one thing. Bruno was a hell of a champion. Yeah. Here exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. Here's Bill After, and once again, we're speaking here with Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiants? Well, actually, it was a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it the loss. Did didn't have anything to do with Well, yes, but the whole thing is that the rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. 